I'm going to read out of the book of Luke chapter 5. I'm going to talk to you this morning about get the nets. Last Sunday, we started this message on Luke chapter 5 about when, you, when you're frustrated, you have to literally be persistent and try again. That persistence overcomes resistance. This is an amazing story really about failure because the miracle starts off with failure. In Luke chapter 5 verse 1, it says, So it was the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of the Lord. And he stood by the lake of Gesetarin, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. Both were fishermen, had gone from them. Both were fishermen, and they'd gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. We know him to be Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Have you ever, have you ever tried your very best and it's produced nothing? Anybody with me this morning? You tried hard at a relationship. You tried hard at a job. You tried hard at work. You tried hard in life and it didn't seem to produce what you wanted it to produce. This is Peter's problem. We've caught nothing. But he gives them a caveat, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when he had done this, they caught such a great multitude of fish that their net began to break. There's a problem there because Jesus told them, get the nets, plural. Out of the disobedience, they got one net and God wanted to show them that net's about to break because you didn't listen to me. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat and they came and they helped them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. How many of you would like to have such an abundance that you just don't know where to put it all? It just starts to, you just, you just got so much resources. It's just starting to like, man, I got to get, I got to get this off my boat. I got too much wealth. I got too much resources. I got too much good looking. See, you need to get around me. Too much good looking. I'll get it on you. I'm, okay, I'll just, let me get, I'm going to lose my anointing if I don't stop. That the boats were about to sink. They both of those boats that began to sink. And when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And when he had, and for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, and partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they bought their boats to land. And look at the latter verse here we're going to focus on on this message today. They forsook all and followed him. Let's say it together. They forsook all and followed him. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. And we're trusting you, Lord, that we can forsake those things that are going to hinder us and we can follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've lost weight. You can eat that cookie. Go ahead and do it. <clears throat> and you can sit down. Those are really good, by the way. My pants are really fitting well. Like, <clears throat> that's, that's code talk for they're too tight because she's, she's let me have some of the, uh, she was baking yesterday. So I thank you for being here today. Again, uh, we're honored to have you. Thank you for opportunity to be with us today and sowing seed into the ministry. We could not do what God's called us to do without you. Thank you. And I also want to encourage you, uh, this Wednesday night, again, Jennifer said it, but we really want you to get uh, a deeper, uh, just a place in the Lord and another avenue for a midweek, not just another service, but another encounter where you can really catch 
capture the things of God for a greater, uh, just, a, just a greater life. And I really believe investment is so important. So I want to encourage you, make the effort, make the investment. Wednesday nights, 6 o'clock, cafe's open. We'll have food for you and the family so you don't have to prepare it. 7 o'clock service to 8.15. Uh, it'll be worth the investment, I promise you. Last Wednesday was amazing. We had a wonderful time. But I, I want you to be a part of that time because I don't want to just do it and have a couple hundred people here and, and just kind of go through and just think we're going to push through. No, it's going to pack out for God. you got to really want it uh, for us to pursue that. So I'm just telling you, it'll be worth your investment, okay? So I think about this because Jesus told Peter, launch out into the deep. There's a problem with launching out into the deep because you do not catch fish in the first century by launching out into the deep. They caught fish by the shore. That's why they were washing their nets, plural, because they've toiled all night and they caught nothing. They were frustrated. They were cold. They were wet. But this miracle story is not only a story of trying again, not only a story of persistence, but it's really a story of serving. It's a story of honoring God and, and doing what God tells you to do. We call that in Christian world obedience. Obedience always brings the blessing. How many of you know that? When you're obedient to the things of God, it always brings the blessing. Now, let me ask you this morning, how many of you, let's be honest, how many of you have a sneaky streak in you? Let me see your hand. Oh, you liars. you such liars. I'm going to pray that spirit of lying out of this room. Let me, let me ask you again. How many of you have a, have a sneaky streak in you? Let, oh, now honesty has taken root. I read this story some time ago. I think it fits well in the message. While crossing the U.S.-Mexico border on his bicycle, Pedro was stopped by the U.S. Border Patrol, who pointed to the two sacks he had on his shoulders. And he said, what's in those sacks? Pedro said, it's sand. Put the sand out on the ground so we can see what's in those sacks. Pedro obeyed the border patrol and he put the sand out on the ground and showed them that that's all that was in those sacks was sand. They said, that's okay, it's, I see it's only sand. Pedro put the sand back into the bags and he went across the border. The next day they asked Pedro the same thing. Comes across the border riding his bicycle, bags on his shoulders, what's in the bag? He said, it's sand. Took it out, reloaded the sand. Again, he went on his way day after day after day. For six months this happened. Finally, Pedro, he didn't show up one day, and the border patrolman saw him downtown, and he said, Pedro, you've been driving me crazy. I know, I know, I know you were smuggling something across that border. I won't say a word of what you were smuggling if you just tell me, Pedro. What was it? Pedro said, bicycles. Bicycles. Let me ask you again, how many of you have a sneaky streak in you? Bicycles. It's important to know that Jesus tells Peter, he does something to him, launch out into the deep. I can see Peter going to him, saying to himself, look, you're an unemployed carpenter. I'm a professional fisherman. You do not realize that you don't launch out into the deep and catch fish. You got to catch them by the bank. What do you know about fishing, rabbi? Peter could have said that. Some of you might have even thought that if you were there at that time. Jesus tells them, however, launch out into the deep. It's the wrong place, as I said. Launch out into the deep. It's hundreds of miles deep out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Galilee, and they don't have a 500 horse diesel motor pushing them out there. They have a little sailboat. 
launch out into the deep, there's, there's no way you can do it in the daytime because every fisherman knows you don't catch fish in the daytime. You catch them at night. That's where you have the advantage as the fisherman. The frustration factor, I'm sure, was there. The toil, the tiredness, the cold, the, the disappointment, the frustration of catching nothing. If you've ever been a fisherman, I, I don't, I don't uh, claim that I know how to fish. I, I don't know. I've never really been fishing that much, but I have been fishing enough to catch nothing and it's very frustrating and it's boring and I'm like that's no good and I know if you catch something it's good if you catch nothing it's no bueno and here he's caught nothing all night he's tired he's disappointed he's frustrated he's caught nothing and now this unemployed carpenter is saying launch out in the deep who are you kidding I can see the the frustration there. It's the same sea. It's the same nets. It's the same boats. It's the same fishermen. But this time they caught such a bonanza of fish that they took that one net that they carried in disobedience, like I said earlier, to the, to, to the point it started to break. I want to tell you, if God tells you to get the nets, plural, can I encourage you, get the nets. Get the nets. Don't take a net. Get the nets. If God tells you to go fishing for shampoo, go fishing get the tartar sauce you're gonna catch the fish if God tells you it's going to rain get an umbrella the flood is on its way do what God tells you to do can I get a witness this morning because he's got a blessing for you he's got a blessing of abundance for you beyond your capacity to contain it why did they catch the fish it's really simple but it's a true statement they caught the fish because Jesus was in the boat They caught the fish this time because Jesus was in their boat. Are you failing this morning? Can I encourage you? Get Jesus in your boat. Are you frustrated? Get Jesus in your boat. Have you tried in your marriage and it's now become a war zone, thunder and lightning? In first marriages, the opposites attracted. Now because you're married, it's irritating. Get Jesus in your marriage. Have you lost your joy? Get Jesus in your heart. You can be in the prison like Paul and Silas in the jailhouse, in the Philippi jail, and you can have the joy of the Lord and sing in the midnight hour. And the angels of heaven will join you. And you'll walk out that jailhouse with the keys in one hand and a new believer in the other hand because the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Can I tell you, friend, Christ is the answer. What you need, he has it. What you need it, he knows where to find it. He knows exactly how much you need of it. He can control the forces of nature. He can control what you're going through. He can send fish into your boat that you don't have the capacity to contain them. Fish do not leap in your boat until Jesus gets in the boat. And in his presence, there's power. There's power. In his presence, friends, there is hope. In his presence, there is confidence. In his presence, gloom is replaced with glory. As a matter of fact, burdens are delifted. Diseases are healed. If you're in this room today and you're sick in body, Jesus has the power to heal you today, right now. There's no distance in prayer. The raging storm can surrender. The power of Christ can come. What's my point? Get Jesus in your boat. Get him in your boat. Turn to your neighbor and say, get him in your boat. Try the other side because they're not receiving it. Get him in your boat. You got to get him in your boat. When you have struggle, when you have lack, you got to get Jesus in your boat. There's another reason why Peter wouldn't have kind of wanted to obey the command to launch out into the deep that day. I believe because public opinion is as strong back then as it is today. 
public opinion that day says, why would you do something contrary to what we know? Why would you launch out into the deep? You don't catch fish hundreds of feet in the deep. You catch fish along the shore. Those bigger fish would trap minnows against the bank, and so they would get out of there in weightable water. Hence, they had two boats, and they would take the nets. That's why they were cleaning those nets, because they were, they were skimming the bottom of the, of the shorelines there, catching those fish, launch out into the deep. I can see it. The Bible says there was a multitude of people on the beach that day. As a matter of fact, there was a multitude of people because they lived by that Sea of Galilee. That tells us that they were probably one way or another in the fishing industry. Launch out into the deep. What a joke. Everybody would lie down in the sand laughing at this silly information. But Peter's words are so important. And I think Peter's words hold true to us today as they did back in the day. He says, nevertheless, at your word. You see, public opinion and the word of God are never on the same radar screen. Public opinion and the word of God, they're never on the same radar screen. Public opinion always changes. We may be in a financially destitute society, but we do not live in a financially destitute kingdom. Public opinion does not match what this world's opinion is because public opinion and God's opinion are never on the same wavelength. Friends, you cannot please God and both please this world. You will either offend the world and please God, or you will offend God and please this world. But you cannot do both. Public opinion changes like the tide of a seashore and like the coming of a, a noon day. Public opinion changes. Now we live in a day where right is wrong, wrong is right. We have so much political upheaval today. Now they're talking about infanticide. How long will the government dictate if a child should live outside the womb of a mother? Because public opinion now says kill a child, not even in the fourth month, not even in the fifth month, but after they're born because public opinion opinion and God's opinion are never on the same wavelength. It's murder. It's in the first month. It's murder. It's in the latter part. It's murder. It always will be in God's eyes. And God says this type of stuff will never have my approval. And the church needs to stand up and speak up because my word is truth. I think there's so much today about public opinion that public opinion can water down what our beliefs are. They're never on the same radar, uh, radar length because when we start to go by what man says, why pol what political things say, we can get overwhelmed and take our beliefs and put them nayside, put them on the, the banks, if you will, and not launch out into the deep because public opinion and God's opinion will never be the same. If you believe that this morning, could you give the Lord a hand clap? It's so important. Everything today public opinion is addressing for the most part in our social world, in our, in our political world, is endorsing death. It's endorsing death. God is not the author of death. God is the author of life. He says, I've come that you may have life and have that life more abundantly. Why was this important? Because you and I cannot bow to public opinion. We're not here to be man pleasers. We're here to be God pleasers. Can I tell you, when you're 20s, when you're in your 20s, you worry about what everybody says about you. And so you look up because criticism comes. You're worried about what people say about you. When you're 40s, you could care less what people say about you. 
when you get in your 60s, you wish people would start talking about you. There was another reason why I believe this, this launch out into the deep message, cast your nets, was contrary. Because it was contrary to what Peter understood about fishing. Now, I want you to hone into this this morning because I think when God starts to speak to you and I, sometimes it's contrary to what we've been told or even what we believe. You see, when God speaks to you, as Peter was spoken to by God, he's a professional fisherman. This unemployed carpenter is coming to him, telling him how to, how to begin to fish. I don't know about you, but that could be a little bit nerve-rattling. You see, when God speaks and he asks us to do something, or when a, a man or a woman of God of authority who speaks on behalf of God, in other words, when somebody gives you uh, an inspirational thought of God, when they speak to you and they ask you to do something and you understand it, that's not really living by faith. That just means you're in communication and you're, and you're in unity with it. In other words, if God asks us to do something that we understand, we do not have to live by faith to do it. But when he starts to ask us to do things we don't understand, that's another dimension that you have to learn to start living by faith. When he asks us to do something we don't understand, can I give you a word? Just do it. Just do it, for obedience brings that blessing. I may not understand launch out into the deep, especially if I've known fisher, uh, the fishing industry my entire life and my upbringing, but I either obey the word and nevertheless at thy word and launch out into the deep, or I stand on the banks frustrated with the other cautious ones. I can either trust and obey or go another way. I may not understand, lay hands on the sick so they recover, but I can tell you, but years and decades of doing it, I've laid my hands on thousands of people and watched the anointing of God break the yoke and bring forth healing because there's no distance in prayer and that anointing breaks the yoke and it's the anointing that sets the captive free. I don't understand it. I don't understand the verse that says they shall cast out demons. I don't know about you, but I don't have a, a demon theology. I just know that his word says it, and you don't have to interview a demon and have a bad hairpiece to look like you're, you're interviewing, and you look like a demon. You just cast them out with a word because the anointing of Christ is all sufficient. I may not understand. you got to be born again. But I can tell you, as sure as I'm standing up here, and looking good, by the way, as sure as I'm up here, all you have to do is just believe. If you just believe, the Bible says, you pass from darkness into the marvelous light. No matter what you've done, no matter what background you've come from, every person at the sound of my voice, all you simply have to do is become a believer and not a doubter. And God says, that's my son. That's my daughter. Write their name in the Lamb's book of life. They've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I want you to know, I don't understand how that works, but God says, if you just believe, you shall have what you shall have and you shall do what I say you can do I may not understand that but it's a matter of believing I don't understand remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy but there's something about when God's children come together we are not to forsake the fellowship of coming together as the church you may watch it online in your little dirty pajamas and that's fine if you're like that but there's something about if you're coming to the house of God you are anticipating you're getting ready. You've come with other believers. We walk together. We warm together. We war together. And we worship together. Do we have any worshipers this morning? 
I don't understand it. I don't understand bring the tithe and the offering into the storehouse so there'll be food in my house. I don't understand how you can live far greater on 90% than you ever will on 100%. But I can tell you after 20 plus years of doing it, I have never been without. And I have never gone with lack because God is an all-sufficient God. He provides a cattle on a thousand hills. He'll press it down, shake it together, and run it over. How many of you can testify to the goodness of God? When you honor him, he begins to honor you. I don't understand how all that stuff works, but we have to trust and obey, for there's no other way. And think about this, because when John tells this story in the book of John, how many of you know the Bible has what we call synoptic gospels? That means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those stories are simultaneously told. In other words, they're talking about the story of Jesus, but they're told in a way which we call synoptic, which means there are some portions in Matthew's writings that are different than Mark's writings and Luke's writings and John's writings. Why? They're different perspectives of the same events. Are you with me this morning? They're different perspectives about the same event. I got a call last week uh, of an insurance company because Jennifer and I were recently coming out of the church parking lot and there was a horrific accident. One of those kids from the college just jammed out of the street there and coming down the street out in front, they hit a car. And it was, I was right behind them driving and Jennifer was in the passenger seat and we saw the whole thing. They hit the car and the car suddenly, because the way it was hit, it flipped over on its side. I mean, it was traumatic. If you've ever seen an accident of that magnitude, it was, it was traumatic. So immediately I jumped out of the truck and I go over and I'm like, who's in the car? So I, I thought immediately about a mom's supernatural strength when a child is trapped in a car. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally, like a feet of strength, I'm going to pull the car over. So I literally got out, Jennifer can tell you, and I literally, I'm pushing on the car. It's an SUV, and I'm trying to push it back over. And people are crazy. They're screaming, and I can hear people in the car screaming, help, help. So I'm pushing the car over, and I realize I don't have supernatural strength. <laughs> and so I went to plan B. I went to plan B. There was a moonroof in the, in the SUV, so I, I grabbed the moonroof, and me and another kid from the school, and he was a little guy, he was trying to pull it open too, and he was in my way, so I said, get out of my way. And so I grabbed the moonroof, and I ripped it open like a sardine can and literally busted the moonroof open. I pulled both the people out of the SUV and got them over to the side of the road. Well, that's a pretty, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't call any medias. I'm not taking any reports. So anyway, after the whole thing happened, Jennifer's, you know, she's the first to call 911, the whole thing, and the other cars, and they're about to fight, and so I'm, now I'm a peacemaker, and I'm like, chill out, chill out, and the police finally come, and so they're asking me my testimony. And so there were other witnesses there, and so I told them what had happened. Well, I had a call last week because they had collaborated everybody's eyewitness accounts but now they wanted to hear my eyewitness account because it was from a different perspective. Remember the can opener ripping the car open? And so I was just telling them, yeah, I'm just sad. You know, I had to pull them out. I just had to pull them out. And so there's something to be said about a different take about a same story. An eyewitness account, but a different take on the same event. That's what you read when you read in the scriptures out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Y'all with me this morning? 
And that's what's important because John does something in the scriptures that Matthew doesn't write about, that Luke doesn't write about, that the apostle Mark doesn't write about. But John says in John 21 verse 11, he throws this in and there's nothing in the scriptures by accident. You need to know that. There's no random words. There's no unsolicited words in the scripture. All scriptures breathe by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's all the word of God or it's none the word of God. You need to know that. And in John 21, 11, there's an interesting passage of scripture there. It says there were 153 fish that were caught that day. Hmm, 153 fish why in the world does John take a different approach of an eyewitness account and say the number of fish that were caught that day? Because according to Jerome, the historian, the Greek historian, there were 153 different kinds of fish in the sea. And the Bible tells us that the sea represents the earth. And that's what Jesus called us to be, fishers of men. Meaning at that point, there were 153 different groups of people, nations, if you will, that needed to hear the gospel. Therefore, the Great Commission is stated, go out into that world and preach the gospel to every person. And when the gospel is preached to what? The ends of the earth. Then shall the end Come, Do you know, friends, one of these days in the very near future, a lot sooner than many Christians think, the last sermon will be preached, the last testimony will be shared, and the last soul will become a believer, and God will say, that's it. That's it. The trump of God shall sound. The dead in Christ will rise. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb we shall attend. Every tribe, every kin, kindred, and every tongue. We are all God's children. We shall celebrate around the throne of God. What a glorious day that will be. That's why church culture and you making a priority for the things of God is so important. Because the sooner than many people think that great trump of God is going to sound. And sooner than most Christians realize that God is going to say, that's it. It's time. I'm ready to come back to this earth. Jesus told these disciples to do something. To cast that net on the right side. Everybody say right side. The right side is God's side. And it's not a political left and right. you got to get that out of your linear thinking and out of your political world thinking. The right side is the position of power. Jesus sits in the heavenlies at the right hand of God the Father. We get the expression, he is my right hand man. Meaning he is my, my, my main person, my one person that I can count on, a position of strength. Do you know the blessing that was given to the Hebrew boy through the father was given with the right hand. That father would take his right hand and he would lay that hand on that son. He would lay his hand on his daughter at his bat mitzvah or the bar mitzvah and he would speak the spoken blessed, the commanded blessing over that son, over that daughter. It was done with the right hand. The blessing is given on judgment day. Listen closely. On that great judgment day the nations of the world will be gathered either on the left side which is the goat side or on the right side which is the 
the sheep side. All nations that have supported Israel, the past Israel, the future's Israel, and the present Israel, they will be on the right side. All nations like Iran, Syria, Turkey, others who have not supported Israel, who have not protected Israel, will be on the left side. I will conclude all churches that have not supported the great cause of Israel will be on that left side. You say, how can that be? Read the book, and it tells us the right side is the position of power, where the nations of the earth will be evaluated. In closing, are you, are you getting something out of this this morning? In closing, there's a phrase in this miracle that I think we talked about earlier today that says, they forsook all, and they followed him. They forsook all, and they followed him. What a mind-boggling verse for 21st century Christians. Ask people to give up things for Christ in today's standards, and they'll look like you've lost your mind. They forsook all, and they followed him. They forsook their boats. They forsook their nets. They forsook their families. They forsook their future plans, and they followed Jesus. They forsook all. When you talk to people nowadays that love God and you ask them to forsake things for Christ, they look at you like, I'll go down the streets to somebody else's church where they won't ask me to do anything. But I'm telling you today that God wants to get back to another standard and another level of culture and honor, honoring him and honoring one another. They forsook all. Let's press the concept for a moment about forsaking all. How many of you remember in the New Testament the pearl of great price? You remember that story? A few of you. The pearl of great price was a man. He had a piece of property that he that had a pearl of great price on it. And he saw this pearl of great price. He knew the property was very valuable. It had a, it had a great price. So he sold everything he had to get that pearl of great price. People thought he was crazy for selling everything he had. But really, he was a wise investor because he had insider information. You go to jail for that today, but not back in the day. It was insider information. And that was the pearl of great price. He, he knew that if he was going to give up, it was going to come back to him way more. It's what, the, it's what the missionary Jim Elliott said. A man or a woman is no fool to give up what they cannot keep, to gain that which they cannot afford to lose. When you and I start to give up what we think we deserve, God starts to give us more than we possibly dreamed or imagined. Let's bring this pearl of great price into a modern day translation. A man walks into a jewelry store and sees a beautiful pearl and he says, how much is it? And the man behind the counter says, oh, it's very expensive. The buyer says, well, how much does it cost? And the seller says, it costs a large amount. The buyer says, well, I'd like to buy it. The seller says, of course. Anyone can buy this. The buyer says, well, didn't you say it was very expensive? The seller says, yes, it's very expensive. But the price is everything you have. The buyer says, well, all right then, I'll buy it. The seller says, well, what do you have? Let's write it down. The buyer says, well, I have $10,000 in the bank. The seller says, that's good. The money's mine now. What else do you have? Nothing. That's all. Just what I have in my wallet. You have a wallet? That's mine. Let me have it. Not just the money in it, everything. The wallet too. Let me have it. 
The seller says, you don't, you don't need to count it. Just give it to me. Now, the buyer says, well, that's all that I have. The buyer says, I have nothing left. That's all. The seller says, that's all? Well, where do you live? He says, well, I live in a house. You have a house? Your house belongs to me now. That's mine too. He says, you mean I have to live in my motor home? The seller says, you have a motor home? That's wonderful. That's mine too. The buyer says, well, I'll have to sleep in my car then. You have a car? Yes, two of them. They're mine now too. The Bible tells us that the pearl of great price of importance, but now the buyer says, what else? What else? You want my kids and my wife? Yes. Yes, I want your wife and your children. They're mine also. The buyer says, I have nothing left. That's absolutely all that I have. And the seller says, oh, no. Oh, no. We haven't even started. I want your heart. I want your soul. I want your mind. I want your body. I want your time. I want your talents. I want your good things. I want your bad things. I want every breath in your lungs because that's what I gave you. Now, do you and I really want to inherit the kingdom of God? Can I tell you, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you all. This 90-minute encouragement we have on Sundays is for you to be fueled, fired, and filled for a great rest of the week for you to give all to God. Not, this is not all. This is a snack lunch. This is a Lunchable. This is not it. You and I have an opportunity to give all. All of me equals all of him. And we have that opportunity each and every day to give all to him, all to Jesus. You say, well, I'm not into that. Then you're not ready. And you can keep coming, we'll keep loving you, we'll keep supporting you, we'll keep encouraging you. But until you get ready to get, give all, you're never going to get all. Because all of me equals all of him. You'll never find the riches of the kingdom. I'm telling you that out of love, but out of experience. Until you forsake all and follow the Lord. Have you tried and failed? Try again. Have you become frustrated? Try again. Are you weary and well-doing in your marriage, in your business, in your health? Try again. Launch out into the deep one more time and do what God's asked you to do. Trust and obey. Because when you get into the right place, I'm telling you, there'll be 153 big fish that are going to leap into your net. And the problem is over because Jesus is in the boat.